Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers podcast, uh, in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Today, we're going to be talking about anxiety, a uh, different, a little bit of a uh, different topic than what we've been talking about recently, but it's something that um, I think everybody uh, struggles with, if, if not diagnosed, then at least um, struggles with to some extent uh, today especially in the age of social media, as we kind of talked about uh, a few episodes ago. And it's something that um, I even obviously dealt with a little bit during university and during high stress uh, situations as well. So we all experience some form of anxiety. So let's talk about it today. Let's analyze this and have uh, an in-depth analysis about it. Um, a lot of these thoughts came um, from self-reflection during those uh anxious times. Uh, I've since gotten a lot better with uh, managing my stress and part of the reason is because I was able to kind of break it down for myself in a way. So um, the first topic that we're going to talk about here is how um, individuals who feel anxiety uh, seem to have some kind of a negative outlook uh, about future events. So there's something called the spotlight effect. The spotlight effect is when we become anxious for things that people don't even see because we think that all eyes are on us, even though that's not the case. So for instance, with insecurity uh, or any insecurity you may have, you may fear meeting new people because you believe everyone will see what you're insecure about. So here you have a negative outlook on a future event, even if no one will notice this uh, insecurity that you have or this self-perceived flaw. Uh, you feel as if people will notice it, so you're afraid to meet new people. So you have a negative outlook for meeting new people just because of your own perceived flaw. And the research, there is research to support this idea. Um, individuals with anxiety disorders do exhibit uh, abnormalities and conditioned fear. Um, so even without experiences to indicate that there should be anxiety, Individuals with anxiety still feel anxious regardless. So, for instance, if you have uh, anxiety about speaking publicly, um, if, even if you've never spoken publicly, uh, you may still have a great fear of taking part of it. So there's nothing to show you why you should be scared of speaking publicly because, say, you've never done it before, um, but you're still scared anyway. So this is an abnormality in this kind of conditioned fear. There's nothing to really condition you to be afraid of that uh, instance, but you're still afraid just because uh, because you get in your own head. So um, these are some things that I've definitely noticed with when you do feel anxiety. There's certainly some kind of a negative outlook towards future events, even though these events, um, even though this negative outlook may not uh, be supported by your experience. Maybe you've never had a negative experience with public speaking, but you're still afraid somehow. So um, anxiety, uh, there is the pathway to this. What, how do we kind of um, trick our minds into getting a negative perception of a future event. So one kind of pathway that I've mapped out here is um, when you're, for instance, imagine if you're singing aloud. Um, uh, so let's just, let's just talk about how we go from just feeling a good feeling to feeling anxiety. We start with being free and experience good feelings from singing aloud. You're singing to your favorite song, you're enjoying it and you're singing loudly, right? Say your headphones are in. 
Um, but then this feeling may be intercepted by the thought that you're being too loud and that someone will hear. Okay. So immediately there's some kind of a negative conditioning towards this originally free behavior. Um, so negative feelings become attached to singing aloud, even though you were initially enjoying that, um, now negative feelings become attached because you fear that someone will hear you. So this ends in the inhibition of this originally free behavior of singing aloud um, without it having any real negative consequences attached. So maybe no, nobody would have even heard at you. Uh, and if they did, they may not have even judged you anyway. But regardless, a negative conditioning spiral occurs without any real consequences. So this is... A major issue with anxiety and kind of what I talked about, um, kind of if you're afraid of public speaking, like you are afraid of it, even if you've had no negative experiences really, and you're just afraid um, of something with no support for that. Um, and we'll touch on how certain therapies can be effective at changing these illogical cognitions. Um, this is what uh, the founders of cognitive behavioral therapy have called it. Um, Aaron Beck and Albert Ellis, and we'll talk about how certain therapies can change these logical cognitions that arise from uh, all, all from one's head. Um, now, there, another factor or another uh, hallmark of anxiety, I should say, is expressive inhibition. Uh, so what does this mean? So I'll use an example here. So for social anxiety again, so um, you're avoiding social situations. You're avoiding this expression of yourself in social situations. Um, there's a condition called body dysmorphic disorder where um, it's kind of like uh, an extreme version of self-consciousness almost. So people will be self-conscious about the smallest things that no one could ever even perceive, but they feel as if everyone's looking at that. Kind of like the spotlight effect that we talked about. So in body dysmorphic disorder, uh, you may be skipping out on events uh, due to these perceived personal flaws. So in both cases, you get boxed in and you're not able to express yourself outwardly. Um, so what I have here is sometimes the best feelings come when expressing yourself outwardly compared to when you perceive yourself inwardly as if being looked at by others. So um, it almost seems as if because you uh, prevent yourself from expressing yourself outwardly, you feel almost boxed in because you're looking at yourself through the lens of others uh, and other judgmental eyes, or at least eyes that uh, who you think are judging you. Um, so for instance, if you're, if you're listening to music while you're alone and, and you're, and you're vibing to it and you're singing to it, just like we talked about, um, this outward expression, even if it's just for yourself, even if you're living alone or whatever, this can be kind of therapeutic in a sense. So it almost seems as if this outward expression can, um, can really, can be therapeutic and can be helpful. Um, but when we perceive ourselves, ourselves through the eyes of others, uh, you get boxed in, you know, because the, now your actions originally dancing aloud or dancing and singing aloud. Now you look at it through the eyes of others and you're afraid of being judged. So, um, expressive inhibition does seem to be some kind of a hallmark and a common factor in a lot of different anxiety disorders, kind of like I mentioned in social anxiety and in body dysmorphic disorder. Um, so what I have um, kind of to go along with this, <laughs> the idea of uh, singing loudly and dancing to the music while you're alone. So um, when you're alone, you can kind of express how much you love the music without fear of others judging you. Um, 
So perhaps the key then is to look at yourself through your own eyes rather than through the eyes of others. And maybe that will relieve some anxiety. Maybe even if there are others around, maybe uh, you shouldn't be so afraid of, uh, of singing aloud and, um, <laughs> and expressing yourself. I mean, no need to, I guess, embarrass yourself, but um, it, it may be useful to just express yourself and let it go and don't be worried about other people judging you. Another idea about anxiety I have here is that um, I've realized that what we value drives our behavior. If we value appearance, then anything that takes away from our appearance will cause us stress or negative feelings. Um, so for instance, if you value your appearance and then you gain a little bit of weight or uh, <laughs> imagine you get a big uh, blemish on your face or you get some kind of uh, an injury to your face or something and you really value your appearance, then those that blemish, that injury, the, that gaining of weight is going to cause you stress. If you value money, then anything that negatively impacts your bottom line and impacts uh, your ability or your, your amount of money that you have is going to cause you negative feelings. So, if you, we, maybe if we can change our value system, we can change, inherently change negative feelings. And we don't need to get negative feelings anymore because we've changed our value system. That's a thought that I've had recently. And kind of going along with this, it, 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 we can talk about useful versus useless anxiety. So not all anxiety uh, is useless because in some uh, ways you need anxiety to succeed in, in, in certain fields. If you had no anxiety at all, um, how could you, how could you do well, for instance, in school or at work, you need to be anxious of, of needing to be able to perform and maybe anxious isn't the right word, but you need to have some, uh, some sense that, or some onus to, to perform well. And even at its lowest level, that could even be deemed as anxiety, I guess. So, um, so you, you do need to worry kind of, uh, about having more studying to do, uh, or to feel like you got to get to the next thing on your list, you know, but if you apply this worrying or this low level anxiety to other scenarios, um, this can cause issues. And this is where we get into worthless anxiety, as I call it. So worthless anxiety is no matter the worry, the outcome will not change. So this could be something like worrying about, for instance, your height. Okay. <laughs> if you're an adult and you're worried about your height, um, you can worry about that all day, but how, how are you going to change that? There's no way once you're done growing. So that would be worthless anxiety, but anxiety that might be beneficial is maybe that anxiety of, uh, here, I'm kind of worried about how well I do in school or getting to that next thing on my list. Maybe that could be worth something, but, um, one, one idea I have here is that, is it possible that when worry pays off, like when we have high anxiety about being successful, uh, and this leads to success in school or work, are we being reinforced for the, having this anxiety? And then do we generalize these ways of thinking to other areas uh, where the outcome still won't change and then we get worthless anxiety? This is just a thought I've had about that. And it's the idea that say you do have anxiety about school and it allows you to do really well. Do you get reinforced for this anxiety? And then do you start applying this to other areas of your life where, and you kind of unknowingly apply this, this strategy of anxious thinking to other areas of your life, even though it's not very useful. Um, the idea of reinforcement, um, we've already discussed this with the behaviorists, uh, starting with Watson, starting 
and experimented greatly by B.F. Skinner in the mid-20th century. Uh, this is in uh, human nature, more than a blank slate. We talked about this. And the behaviors, this is kind of what they thought, and the hardcore behaviors would say, <laughs> I don't know if you would necessarily agree with this hypothesis, but um, <laughs> because there's no, I guess there's no specific research done uh, to prove it, but this is kind of their line of thinking, is this reinforcement and this conditioning that happens. It, if you get reinforced for doing something, you're going to do that behavior more. That's what the law of effect is, developed by um, Thorndike, one of the initial experimenters in behaviorism. So um, this is an idea that I've definitely had about, um, yeah, just about the idea of, of anxiety being reinforced and then leading to issues causing worthless anxiety in other areas. So um, one thing here also is, we have to kind of know when to uh, use acceptance versus defiance when experiencing anxiety. So what do I mean by that? So I mentioned here, if you're not tall enough, uh, you might just need to accept that. We might need to learn acceptance for something like that and not worry about it because no matter how much we worry about it, it's not going to change. That's worthless anxiety. Um, but if you are so worried about, uh, for instance, your weight, you could say, um, maybe it's worth something to show defiance to that weight gain and challenge that and then lose weight. So maybe it's okay to have some type of worry about that if it's, if, if the weight gain is causing you stress and then you can, you can make a change and you can reduce that stress because it is something that can be altered as opposed to your height, where if you worry about, no matter how much you worry about that all day, nothing's going to change, right? Um, so both acceptance and defiance can, can breed confidence. It just depends on the scenario. Uh, so that's something that has helped me and uh, when to use acceptance versus defiance while experiencing anxious thoughts. Let's talk about thresholds, another idea I've had about anxiety. Um, wh what I have noticed is that individuals with anxiety, and when I say individuals, this also includes me because I experienced uh, uh, some of these issues during, I mean, school, it's it's not easy. Um and there are times when you, if you want to do well, you have to make tremendous sacrifice and, uh, and you <laughs> even sometimes, yeah, sacrificing your mental health, unfortunately, if you want to, uh, do well at a certain level and that's the difficulty of it. So I'm speaking these things from firsthand experience. I'm not just looking around and saying, oh, you experience anxiety. This is what's happening with you. This is my own self analysis partly, but I believe if I communicate this through here, you guys might find it relatable. Um, and you guys might, uh, you guys might, uh, connect with me about this and, uh, share some of your own ideas as well. And we'll talk about later in the episode as well, how you guys can share your thoughts the best way and what, uh, systems we've set up to get a discussion going between, uh, members of insightful thinkers media and, uh, not just fans, but fellow, uh, fellow creators. So we'll talk about this after, but individuals with anxiety perhaps struggle with some kind of a, a threshold imbalance. Uh, what is a threshold imbalance? Well, extreme things are needed to generate happiness, whereas small things cause worry. The thresholds are so messed up. So it doesn't, so for a threshold, imagine a threshold of, um, you won't be happy until this pinnacle is reached, but that pinnacle is so high that it creates so much sadness 
where whereas you could have had that uh, threshold a little bit lower and then even if you made a small improvement it would still cost happiness rather than saying oh my gosh if i even make one mistake i'm gonna lose it or i'm not gonna be happy um so this is this threshold imbalance. So for, imagine an example of uh, <laughs> some, one thing you witness in university is a lot of people, I've heard it a lot of times, they say, oh my gosh, I got an 89 instead of a 90 or, um, or things like this. And uh, this ca- the 89 causes stress um, because it didn't reach your threshold of happiness, which was that 90. But even if they did get a 90, they still may be thinking, oh, I could have done 10% better as well. So the threshold for what causes happiness is way too high and everything below this threshold, for instance, not causing a 90 causes stress or not getting a 90 causes stress. So um, this is the threshold and balance idea is now you can apply it however you want. But the way I applied it is just um, when I was realizing I was feeling a little bit uh, off kilter with this. I just, I didn't reduce my standards for my achievement, but I reduced my threshold of what I would feel happy about. And my threshold uh, no longer had anything to do with the result, but it just had to do with the work that I put in. If I put in the maximum amount of work, it didn't matter the result because my reinforcement came from the work that I put in. So that's another idea about changing where the reinforcement comes from. This is uh, cognitive behavioral therapy does that really well. Uh, And we're going to talk about that very soon, you guys. Um, This is going to be a little bit uh, shorter of an episode as well, because it's just kind of uh, rapid fire of a lot of different ideas I've had about anxiety. This will... uh, this will kind of sum up all my thoughts I've had about anxiety. I just had to synthesize kind of um, the years of introspection and whatever. And this is this is what comes out of that. So uh, hopefully you guys find some of these things relatable uh, that I'm sharing. Um, now, what I also found is oftentimes the best feelings come from comfort. So, but with a high propensity for worry, comfort often only comes from very particular things due to a high threshold for what can create good feelings, guys. So imagine if you uh, are an extreme worrier and now you feel the need to wear a mask on a plane forever just in case another new virus comes because you have a high threshold for what makes you feel secure. Um, (laughs) Or even to another level, even if you have a higher threshold, you got to wear a whole hazmat suit or I don't know who would do that, but um, it just depends on your threshold or some people may, uh, who knows, put put a blanket over their face because they need that to feel comfortable. So it's just because you have such a high threshold for what will make you comfortable, you need to go through uh, extreme measures. Another example is an OCD. I believe they they have some form of, of a threshold imbalance as well because, uh, for instance, imagine someone who needs to sanitize their hands every exactly one minute. Or And this is serious uh, stuff, guys. People do experience things similar to this um, with obsessive compulsive disorder. They need to wash their hands after touching every single thing or whatever because they have such a high threshold for what makes them feel comfortable. And that is a very serious issue that a lot of therapies... Um, have been able to uh, make some progress in tr- in treating, which is really great. Um, now, you see that only under very specific conditions are you comfortable when you have high anxiety. So, guys, if, if you can maybe find a way to uh, reduce your threshold for what makes you feel comfortable, um, it, it has helped me, and I believe that is something that can certainly lessen anxiety 
if you think of anxiety as a threshold imbalance, you can think of anxiety as a threshold imbalance. You can think of it as uh, the values situation where what you value drives behavior and you can apply whatever anxiety you get and apply it to a certain construct construct that I'm talking about now. And because those are the different things that have helped me at different times. At one time when I was analyzing my anxiety, I would have to break it down by, um, by, uh, the value base theory. So I had to change my value system. Another time would be the threshold way. So these are different ideas, but they can all still apply and they may still help you. Right. And this gets us into the, what's called the dodo bird verdict in psychology. The dodo bird verdict is the idea that, um, all empirically validated psychotherapies, regardless of their specific components, produce equivalent outcomes. Uh, (laughs) so where does this dodo bird uh, idea come from? The dodo bird was part of Alice's adventures in wonderland where its character essentially declared that everyone wins and everyone gets a prize after the race. So it doesn't matter what uh, therapy you, you use or what, um, or at least do the dodo bird verdict, which does have some empirical evidence is just saying it doesn't matter which techniques you use. If you buy into it, then it may help you just like at one stage in my life, I needed to use the value based, uh, idea, the value based construct to break things down. But then when I thought of the thresholds thing, maybe that, uh, applied better in certain situations. So I could use that. So it's just the idea that it doesn't really matter what therapy you subscribe to, but it just may, perhaps it just depends uh, whether you buy in or not. And that's what I have here. So there's a chance that therapy works only insofar as the client buys into its ideas. So maybe my own personal um, value-based therapy or uh, thresholds and balance things or anything else I've talked about in this episode works for me and maybe some listeners or some watchers as well. Um, and maybe it doesn't work for you guys at all. And maybe uh, CBT works for person one, but then psychoanalysis works for person two, and then behavioral therapy works for person three. And But it doesn't, it's not the idea that uh, these therapies, one is, one is objectively better than the other. It's just the idea that it depends on the person. Maybe it's about if they're going to buy in. Um, perhaps the therapy is no better uh, than any other therapy. And it's just dependent if the client finds the method engaging enough. Okay. Um, and the Dodo bird, uh, verdict explains this idea and, and supports this. So, uh, I, I found, I created different ideas that I of course bought into because <laughs> typically what you create, you buy into at a high level. So these worked for me the best. And I hope uh, that maybe even one or two of you guys listening, it'll work for you as well. Um, but guys, it doesn't matter. Just find something, make your own therapy, make your own idea system. And even if, uh, research doesn't necessarily, there's the jury is still out and you are not a researcher and you can't research what it, uh, how it impacts a lot of people. If it works on you, then it works on you. And maybe that's all that matters. Right. Um, So feel free to share your ideas of your, um, how you guys got through different, uh, different anxious times and anxious periods. And, uh, and what, how did you break that down in your head through self-reflection? Now I did tell you guys, we are going to actually, you know, we're not going to talk about CBT yet. Cognitive behavioral therapy. 
Uh, we're going to just talk about one more thing of why is it that we are feeling anxiety these days? Um, I talked a little bit how there could be a connection to social media a few episodes ago. Uh, but you can't just blame social media on everything. And uh, there must be some other reasons. And, and one one idea I have here is that perhaps it's the case that because humans are not adapted to have everything set out for them, uh, and to have nothing to worry about, we displace worries to other things, creating first world problems. Everyone knows about first world problems. And what these are is, is um, everything is so kind of handed to you that you you still have this kind of almost like an underlying sense of anxiety and it almost is getting displaced to the smallest of things. And maybe this is more closely aligned with uh, Freud's Freud's theories because he had a lot about suppression, uh, repression and uh, displacement and all sorts of different things of, of how people deal with anxiety. And I never actually made that connection until now. And it is funny you guys, because like quite often, if you've watched every episode or if you've watched closely to date, new insights are gained as uh, I speak about these things. And that's why uh, we are going to have uh, discussions between between um, members of Insightful Thinkers Media uh, because when you start to talk about it, you get new ideas, and w- especially when you start to talk with others about it. I mean, if I'm already getting new insights just by reading this essentially to myself or to you guys, um, imagine what ideas we can generate when we talk about these things together. And again, I'll talk about at the end of the episode... Um, what my plan is for that is essentially through um, group video calls every month. Uh, and that's how we're going to discuss these ideas and share these ideas together, guys. Um, but kind of along the kind of finishing up with this idea about displacement. Uh, <laughs> imagine if we had to hide from from lions in the savannah to survive still. Would we be worried about how we looked before we went outside? Would I be worried about how I looked before I got in front of the camera? <laughs> so you guys, it, it's almost as if if you have nothing to worry about, you're almost gonna find something to worry about. When times are hard and when you need when you need food to survive, you're not worried about how you look. You're not worried about uh, all this, all this, all these frivolous things, the first world problems that we're so accustomed to, you guys and. It is a blessing to to be in, I guess you could say, in this first world. And uh, so blessed that we don't need to worry about those difficult things. But let's also remember that um, whenever you do experience anxious thoughts, really try to think a uh, broad picture about, is this really, is it necessary to worry about this? You know, do I need this to survive? Or am I still healthy? Like, am I okay? And is there any need to worry about the smallest of, of things? And maybe not you guys. So it's just something to something that I've thought about in the past. Now, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. This was developed in uh, the mid 20th century as well. Well, a little bit later than uh, the behaviorism and things like this. This is cognitive behaviorism. So it involves uh, thinking, obviously. This is developed by Aaron Beck in the 1960s. Uh, so what the, the core principle of CBT is, it's not about the event that happens to you. It's about how you think about the event is essentially what it is, you guys. 
Um, so one great example, I can't remember who initially introduced me to this example, but it could have just been in a textbook or whatever, but, um, imagine a snowstorm happens, uh, the, so the, the event happens, right? And the one person who hates snow will say, oh my gosh, the snow is here. I hate the snow. I don't want to go outside. I'm, I'm very depressed about this. But uh, what if, imagine a, uh, the head of the snow plowing company. He'll be super happy about the snowstorm because he knows he's going to be able to commission his snowplow drivers to to clear out the roads. So um, it's just the idea that the event is the event doesn't is not inherently bad or good. It's just the way you think about that event, guys. And that's why I like that example for that. This relates to stoicism, uh, which is a philosophy. Now I'm not well versed in philosophy, so I don't know when this was developed or who it was developed by, but I know Albert Ellis used, uh, some philosophy. He, he's, um, not necessarily the co-founder of CBT, but he did, uh, had a lot of new ideas about CBT and he had his own way of applying it to patients. Um, and you could even say he really is the father of cognitive behavioral therapy, whereas Beck is more to do with cognitive therapy, at least to my knowledge. And if uh, if that's wrong, please correct me on that. The Stoics said that external things such as health, wealth, and pleasure are not good or bad in themselves. The determination of it being good or bad is depending on uh, how you act on these external events. So kind of how you think about these external events, you could say when it comes to cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, one of my favorite songs ever is Kid Cudi's Trapped in My Mind. And it kind of deals with some of these uh, topics here. He says, well, just kind of one uh, part of it. He says, you see, I'm trapped in my mind. I know it's crazy, uh, but hey, it's not that bad at all. So the whole song, he kind of goes into the idea about how... um, man, like I, I can't, I can't escape my mind. The walls are so high. I can't climb them. I can't get out. I'm trapped. And he's, de- he is dealing with stress, but then it just goes to, Hey, it's not that bad at all. Right. Um, so yes, you can be trapped in your mind. It's not about the state of being trapped in your mind. You don't need to dwell on that. It's about the perception of that state. Hey, it's not so bad at all. Um, and that's what I love about, uh, that song. And I love, uh, using the power of the mind to escape difficult issues, guys. And uh, Cuddy discusses that there. So please listen to that song. Uh, Cognitive behavioral therapy also works for accepting oneself. So as soon as you accept that you're different, you're no longer afraid of being evaluated based on difference, right? Um, Because once you accept it internally, it doesn't matter if anyone else does. So the, here's the event of, oh, you could say the event of you're different. That's the event. But you don't need to allow that event to uh, cause you stress and cause you pain. If you can accept that difference, then nothing else matters. It's, o- it's over. If you can accept something in your head or spin it in a positive light, um, back to to Pimp a Butterfly analysis that we did uh, uh, last month about how if you can change things into a positive light, it doesn't matter your upbringing. It doesn't matter what difficult things you go through. It just depends the way you think about it. That's the power of cognitive behavioral therapy, you guys, because often due to insecurity, we hide what we think are flaws to feel confident and to be socially accepted. But if we derive confidence from within, no matter our perceived flaws, then insecurity can turn into confidence. 
okay? And this confidence becomes independent of any other factors. It's not about the flaw. It's about the issue is that we perceive it as a flaw, okay? Nothing is a flaw unless you perceive it that way. Think of, So this ties back into the stoicism that created this cognitive behavioral therapy, you guys. So here's another construct that you can use of spinning things in a positive light and realizing you can detach the event from the way you think about the event, guys. And that has some research to back it. This is not like my hypotheses and uh, <laughs> or my ideas that I used. And although they were beneficial for me, this actually has um, myriad articles uh, supporting how incredible CBT works. So this is research-based therapy. You can get a handbook. You can, um, sometimes all it takes is just maybe to listen to uh, what I'm saying now, because sometimes it's just the simple idea of CBT can really help you change a lot of things without needing to really fully understand it. Um, guys, and, and and that's, I think, the way I want to end this one about how it's not it's not what happens to you, it's the way you think about it. Um. <laughs> Again, this is not a, this podcast is not a didactic one, it's not... Um, it's not to show you guys how to live, but it's just to uh, share insights and to share insights together, you guys. Um, and I'm going to, now we're going to uh, talk about what we're going to be doing um, with Insightful Thinkers Media, with the Insightful Thinkers podcast, and how uh, listeners can get in on some of these conversations. And it is great that you guys are watching or listening now and uh, you are kind of having a conversation with me as you listen, which is the power of podcasting and uh, <clears throat> and YouTube videos like this because you get to have your own thoughts as you listen. and It expands both of our minds. But um, to create a, actually a personal connection, guys, um, what we're going to be doing is we're going to have a, uh, we're going to do a Patreon. We have a Patreon account already, but... What's on there is that um, we're going to do monthly video conference calls, um, kind of like what you guys are very familiar with during the pandemic. And we're going to do it uh, with all the patrons and myself, and we're going to discuss whatever issues. It doesn't need to be about uh, the Insightful Thinkers podcast or episodes on the Insightful Thinkers podcast. It could just be about anything because I know the fa- the people who are listening and watching right now, you guys are proponents of insightful discussion. You like to have those discussions, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a- about the topics that I talk about in this. Um, so if you want to be a part of the monthly ITP uh, conference call, just go ahead, support the podcast on Patreon. And this is where we'll be coming together to have insightful discussions to analyze topics each month. Um, there is also another level where we can do one-on-one call. Um, okay. And uh, that's where we're going to do it, guys. We're going to do it through that. So that's where we're going to build our community. We're going to... Um, really have some in-depth conversations guys and that'll it'll take place behind the scenes but um but it's gonna be fun and i'm excited for that guys um if you like this episode please share it with anyone who is also interested in um, topics like this who has perhaps experienced anxiety or if you find things that uh, you can relate to in this share with somebody else share a clip of it share the entire thing you can subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on so uh, whether it's Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or anywhere else. Apple Podcasts allows you to leave a rating and review. And of course, YouTube allows you to like the video, guys, or dislike it if you don't like what you're hearing. <laughs> um, and and also share your own ideas, guys, with me. It doesn't. You don't need to pay to share your own ideas, guys. You can just share it um, through 
through the Connect page on the website uh, or in the YouTube comments section if you're watching it on there. Uh, and if you are on the website, check out the blog posts. Um, there are a few poems and some articles on there, and I'm working on some new some new things for Insightful Thinkers Media. That is more, those are more um, cr creative things. Well, this is creative too, but um, this is more, uh, I guess, objective things on there. That is kind of more art and writing and poetry, but I think you guys might take interest to that because I still try to leave some kind of uh, uh, a meaning behind what I'm doing on there as well. Um, listen, guys, thank you for tuning in uh, to the Insightful Thinkers podcast. And uh, this is where we have in-depth discussions into a diverse set of topics. That's Insightful Thinkers Media. And if you like that, then uh, stick with me because we're not stopping. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. Watching. We'll be back with lots more in-depth analysis later. Take care, everybody.